I'm more on now than I was before. Definitely, good, okay. <clears throat> well, good morning. morning. How are we doing, we all right? Good, 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 good. Okay, well, look, what we're going to do this morning, uh, the title of my talk is this, A Strange and Deadly Desire. A Strange and Deadly Desire. Nothing to do with Mother's Day. <clears throat> So, uh, no, we're going to carry on looking at, we're going to carry on looking at Corinthians. So, uh, I'd like to read a couple of passages with you, and we're going to start with 1 Corinthians 10. So, it's up on the screen if you'd like to follow it, or if you want to follow it in your Bibles, that would be great. Okay, so this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We're now going to go to Exodus 32 in the Old Testament, second book of the Bible. Exodus 32, and we're going to read some uh, verses from Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, 
and that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. And we know that Moses then intercedes on behalf of the people and God relents from bringing this uh, upon him. But then Moses has a word with Aaron. And he said, Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> okay. Well, look, um, we were looking at chapter 8 of Corinthians three weeks ago. Do you, do you remember that? We were looking at chapter 8, and uh, we came into the, in contact with the subject of idolatry for the first time as we're wandering through um, Corinthians. And if you recall, Paul was really trying to help the Corinthians in that passage, wasn't he? Do you remember this? Yeah, and um, he was trying to help them with a big dilemma that they had. They had a, uh, they had a moral dilemma. Because some of their friends were saying, come to a party and eat some meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. And the Corinthians were panicking a bit, weren't they? Ah, help, what do we do? Is this right? Is it wrong? Some are saying it is, some are saying it's not. So they wrote to Paul to say, what do we do? And Paul writes back helpfully and he says, actually, you can eat that meat with a good conscience if you do it glorifying God. And it doesn't matter what some mad priest somewhere has said over it. doesn't matter these odd words. No, if you eat this with your heart saying, God, I glorify you, there's no problem. And then if you remember, when we were looking at verse 8, at chapter 8, he then carries on, doesn't he? And he looks at personal freedom, and he looks at conscience. And we had a conversation, do you remember, about conscience and how we need to respect the conscience of others, even if it's not the same as our own. So Paul was really helpful, I think, to the Corinthians and uh, I trust that was helpful to us as well. But here we are in chapter 10, and he's come back to this subject of idolatry and one or two other things. And I think what Paul is trying to communicate is, hey, guys, look, I know I said what I said in chapter 8, that it's, it's okay to eat that meat. But what I really don't want to communicate to you is that somehow I, I think idolatry is okay. He's coming back to this matter, this subject, to say, guys, it matters. The subject of idolatry matters. In fact, he goes through four different areas. What are the areas he goes through? Sexual immorality, testing the Lord, grumbling, as well as idolatry. And I reckon those Corinthians were neck deep in all of those. I reckon, I reckon they would have said, oh, 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 as they, as they saw that. So, um, but I think the primary thing that he's looking at is this subject of idolatry. That's the kind of context to these, these chapters. And that's the one he starts with in, in, in chapter 10. And it's the one he comes back to on verse 14, where he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I mustn't fall off the end of this. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is a new thing here. Okay. Um, you're all going to be seeing if I fall off the end now, aren't you? <laughs> That's what you're going to... Okay. So today, I want to look at the subject of idolatry. I want us to spend a morning, or possibly two mornings, 
just looking at this issue. And uh, I really hope that the point of looking at it isn't to make you feel rubbish about yourself. <laughs> that it's not the goal of church for you to come and say, yes, I really now know I am terrible, and now I'm going. Yeah, no, I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope we don't get there. But what I am hoping is that if we can put our finger on something today and say, actually, I think idolatry could be an issue for me, and I think this is the issue, that that will lead you towards freedom. Because Jesus said, I've come to give you life to the full. And we know that sin produces death. So if we're involved in sin, it will be producing death. And I hope the point of this morning is it leads you to life. That you can say, I can put that behind me. Great. Okay? So is that that a deal? Have we made a deal there? No one's going to go out saying, I am so useless. Okay? Good. Good, 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 good. Okay. Right, now I think one of the first things we need to do, I know we spoke about idols probably about four years ago, was it something like that, four years ago, possibly even five now, but I suspect for many of you here today, you are thinking, you're scratching your heads when I refer to idols and idolatry, and you're probably thinking, well, is that really a problem for today? Is that not something that happens in other parts of the world where they make like a literal idol out of metal or wood and they bow down to it or ancestry worship. How is that relevant for us in the West? Well, um, there's an excellent book which I recommend to you called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. This is yellow because it's just an older copy. And uh, if you want to understand the issue of idols and idolatry it's a really helpful book. It doesn't sound too promising, but, but it is excellent. In fact, anything by Tim Keller, I recommend. I think he's a great... Who's read some Tim Keller stuff? I recommend... People describe Tim Keller. He's an American guy. They describe him as a modern-day C.S. Lewis. He's got that kind of intellectual capacity, yet he writes in a very easy way. I'm so grateful for bright people when they write in a way that I can understand. <laughs> like, oh, I see. I see. I understand. Rather than, you know, ah. So I highly recommend almost anything by Tim Keller. And this book I found very helpful. Now, he writes in his introductory, his introductory chapter, and he tries to explain a little bit about idols and how they operate in, 21st, in the 21st century and how they operate among us. So I'm just going to read you just a little bit of his introduction, just because I think it's really good. Okay? So hopefully this will help us understand. When most people think of idols, they have in mind literal statues. Or maybe the next pop star anointed by Simon Cowell. Yet while traditional idol worship still occurs in many places of the world, internal idol worship within the heart, is universal. In Ezekiel 14.3, God says about the elders of Israel, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. Now, like us, the elders must have responded to that, this charge. Idols? What idols? I don't see any idols. God was saying that the human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think 
that they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. An idol is simply something we cannot live without. We must have it. And therefore, it drives us to break rules we once honored, to harm others and ourselves in order to get it. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. The old pagans were not fanciful when they depicted virtually everything as a god. They had sex gods, work gods, war gods, money gods, nation gods, for the simple fact that anything can be a god that rules and serves as a deity in the heart of a person or the life of a people. For example, physical beauty is a pleasant thing, but if you deify it, if you make it the most important thing in a person or a culture's life, then you have Aphrodite, not just beauty. You have a, a people and an entire culture constantly agonizing over appearance, over spending inordinate amount of money and time on it, and foolishly even evaluating character on the basis of it. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, your meaning in life and identity, then it is an idol. So that's probably all of us. That's probably all of us. In fact, he goes on to say, it's not a question of if you have an idol, it's a question of which idol do you have. So you're all involved in this now, you can't rule yourself out. <laughs> okay. Now we know, don't we, as Christians, we are called to be holy we're called to be set apart for God. Yeah, we know that. We're instructed, the Bible instructs us very clearly, to have no other gods before him. We get that from uh, Exodus. Exodus 34 says, For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, um, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And actually the Bible uses really strong language for those who are involved in idolatry. Have you noticed, reading through the Old Testament, some of the language God uses about idolatry, I mean, it's really full on. He, he once refers to Israel as, as a nation who whores itself. He's saying, nation, you, you're like a prostitute. You have a magnificent husband at home, yet you turn and behave like a prostitute because you are involved in idolatry. Why do you do that? It's kind of the, the cry of God, don't come back to me. Wants to forgive. It's strong language. Now, uh, one of the other things I think we read in uh, the Corinthians passage, I think Paul is making it very clear that he says, look, guys, I really want you to learn the lessons of the past. So that 1 Corinthians 10 passage, it's saying, go back to the Old Testament and read and learn, which is why we then read Corinthians, uh, Exodus 32. Interesting, the, what Paul is saying as well, this phrase Paul uses, he says this, learn how not to desire evil like they did. Now, why do we desire evil? Why do we desire evil? 
We're Christians, right? So we desire God, don't we? Yet, actually, in our hearts also, sometimes, we desire evil. Why is that? Hopefully this morning we'll help to unpack that a little bit. Okay, I'd like to have a look then, um, do what Paul has instructed us to do, and I'd like to go through this Exodus passage. Because I've found this chapter really gripping this week, over the last week or two. It's, it, it's, I've been times when I've been reading my Bible and I've said, huh? Do you get times like that when you read it? You think, whoa, it's really hit me. <clears throat> so let's have a look and see what, uh, what happens here. Um, now, I, uh, just to say as well, I think the other thing this chapter does, it reveals, and this is possibly why they desired evil, is because it shows you that idols are almost invisible to you. They're almost invisible to you. And we're going to look at Aaron in particular here. Now, Aaron is no spiritual mug, is he? He has seen some pretty amazing things, hasn't he, Aaron? He has seen the Red Sea open. He has seen pillars of fire and smoke. He's heard God speak to him. This is not a newbie. He didn't get saved yesterday. He's been around the block. He and Moses, no doubt, would have had long conversations about godly things. This is a guy you would expect high things of. He is the number two leader in the whole country. Okay? Experienced guy. Yet he can't see idolatry. Let's have a, let's have a look at that. So here he is. God has spoken to uh, Moses. Uh, Moses goes off to Mount Sinai. And God is speaking to him about the, uh, about the uh, Ten Commandments. And then it says this, when the people saw that Moses was delayed, they go to Aaron and they say this, up. So there's some urgency to what they're saying. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. In other words, they say, Aaron, get a move on. We've got a real need that needs to be met here. We feel insecure and we want something to come and protect us. We want to feel safe. Therefore, we need a God to go before us. And there's real urgency. Aaron, don't just sit there. We need this. We need this need met. That's a clue to how idols operate in our lives. Isn't it? What are the needs you need met? How are you getting your needs met? What are you, who or what are you looking to to get your needs met? And those needs, you will need them. It's no messing about. I need to feel safe and secure. I, I need this. I need that. And here we are, this mighty man of God, Aaron, who uh, is now responsible for the people, says to them, don't be ridiculous. We don't worship idols. No, he doesn't. Look what he says. Immediately, he falls into it. He says this. Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, sons, and daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people then do that. Aaron receives the gold from their hands, and he fashions it with a graving tool and makes a golden calf. Aaron himself, spiritual man of God, makes the idol. He's the one with his own hands makes it. We also will make idols with our own hands in our own hearts. 
And we won't recognize what we've done. Because look what he goes on to say. <clears throat> so, so he makes this uh, idol. And then the people immediately attribute God's power to it. It's just a dumb idol. It's just a lump of metal. But they say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. If you start attributing things that actually are down to God to something else, I would encourage you to be looking at that other thing, to be thinking, well, what do I think of this other thing? I've been blessed in my life. Where does that blessing come from, in your view? So uh, he then says that. And then, then Heron, when he heard what the people said, he builds an altar before this calf. This is worship now going on. He is worshipping this thing. And then Aaron says, he makes a proclamation, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So in other words, he's saying, this is brilliant what we've done. We've made this idol. Isn't it great? And so we're going to go and worship God for it. God, thank you for this idol. Woo! That's what he's doing. He cannot see what he has done. And that's true of spiritual people. We create something that we think is good, and God is saying, it makes me feel sick. <laughs> Remember, this is to try and encourage you, <laughs> to strengthen you. Nobody goes out depressed, but I have got to deliver this stuff. At least I hope you don't. But it's important we see. Do you see how Aaron is responding? Do you see his blindness? Do you get it? Yeah. Now, what else happens? <clears throat> so, he says, tomorrow shall be a feast day. The people can't wait. He says, they rose up early, early in the morning. We can't wait to get to our idol. Fantastic. We love it. And they offer all these offerings. And then it says, the people sat down to eat and drink. And it says, and rose up to play. Well, uh, if you read um, uh, Tom Wright, the theologian, he says, actually, what that means is they then had an orgy. The Bible is very polite sometimes in the way it refers to certain things. And it's being very, very polite here. But it's basically saying they got involved in sexual activity they just should not have done. And they were partying. That's another very good hint for us. If you get involved in idolatry, it will produce sin in your life. Idols produce sin. See, if you had, let's say, you have an idol of success in business. That is your goal. That's the thing that really is the ultimate thing in your life. The likelihood is you will excuse sin in order to achieve that goal. So you may well, for example, be willing to say, well, I, I know uh, you might lie to clients. Yes, Mr. Client, we can deliver that within a week. Actually, it's three months. But I must have the contract signed. Idolatry will do that. It will open up areas of sin and you will start to excuse sin. So you ha if you have an idol of a relationship, I must be with someone and, uh, and I've just got found this new person. I've got to be with them. Well, I'll sleep with them because if I don't sleep with them, they might go. You see what I mean? Do you see how, how sin can come in under the guise of idolatry. 
The, the helpful thing here is perhaps more to look, to look at the idol than the sin. Sin needs repenting of, but it's the idol that needs dealing with. What is the idol? What is the driver? What is the thing that we're running after that we must have? That's the root that we need to um, bring to Jesus. So there we are. That's where we are in verse 6. And, uh, and then verse 21. Uh, Moses has a word with Aaron when he comes back. Because I don't think Moses can quite believe what has happened. You know, I've just been gone for a few days. I'm talking to God. I come back. The place is a mess. Aaron, what have you done? And he says to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin on them? I mean, were they pulling your legs off? Were they, were they killing your children? What? Surely, Aaron, something terrible was happening to you to make you do this. Well, no, actually. No, Aaron just ran headfirst straight into it because he wanted it. Now, listen to Aaron's response, because this is helpful to us. And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. In other words, Moses, I think you're overreacting. I think you need to calm down a little bit. Now, it's not that important. He said, you know the people, that they are set on evil. You know, it's just the way of the world. It's just the way he is. He always reacts like that, and that's just always the way it's going to be. So we'll just tolerate it. So here we have in, in Aaron, this mature man of God, an attitude that just says, oh, manana. That we're not going to worry about certain things. We're just going to let it happen. And actually, quietly, I think there, when he says, you know the people, he's sort of saying, it's their fault, not mine. He then goes on and he says this, he says, uh, you know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Moses, quietly what he's saying there is, Moses, it's your fault. It's your fault, not my fault, because you weren't there. So you should have been there, really, and then everything would have been all right. So it's not my, not my fault. It's the people's fault, uh, or it's, it's, it's somebody else's fault. <laughs> he's into just... And then verse 24, which we laughed as we read it together. I laughed when I read this. So I said to them, let any who has gold take it off. Yeah, all right, I did get involved in the gold bit. But then he says, so they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. I just threw it in and just, you know, it was amazing, really. It was amazing. In fact, do you know, I think it was a God thing. I think that was a God thing. I think it was a supernatural act of God, which is why we were all celebrating, and it was all marvellous. I mean, it's a ridiculous comment. No, mate, you built it with your own hands. In fact, <laughs> this, <laughs> this chapter ends. He talks about a whole bunch of other things, but then it really makes the point about Aaron, you built this, because it says, the last verse says... Then the Lord sent this plague on the people because they had made the calf, comma, the one that Aaron made. <laughs> it's like, you built it, pal. I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> okay, there it is. You know, we can react like that. He's really moved into denial. That's what he's done. He's trying to deny 
that he is involved. And sometimes people will come up with the most ridiculous stuff in order to deny what they've actually done with their own hands. And they will say, well, it wasn't me. It was your fault. Or, or, well, it was the people's fault. And it, anyway, it's just the way they are. And then, well, do we really have to deal with this? And anyway, calm down. Let's not get worried about it. No, there are some things, children of God, we need to be concerned about. There are some things that should provoke you. What we are, should not be all the time is nice, compliant, polite people. We are not called to be that. Sometimes, when we see unrighteousness, we should be provoked. We should have people saying, that's wrong. And we see Moses' response was anger. Now look, if you're constantly angry, there's a problem. But sometimes, when unrighteousness occurs, there should be a sense of indignation. This is wrong. The church should be militant in that regard. We should be looking at our society saying, this is wrong. No. Of course, we love people, but equally, we stand up. What's the end result then of all this uh, idols business? Well, the end result is this. There is now distance between God and the people. God says, Moses says, we need to go up. And, and God says, Moses, you lead the people up, but I will not go with you. Because if I'm with you, I will destroy them. So in his grace, he's saying, I'm going to step back from this people in order that I do not destroy them. So I'm caring for them. If we are involved in idols and idol worship, you will probably be wondering, why am I so distant from God? Why can I not encounter God? is he the other thing we see of course is death and sin always produces death so that's the result of what we see i want to ask you some questions and the point of these questions is to try and help you identify some idols in your own life first question really from those those opening um, verses of 32 what do you need to make you feel secure? What must you have? And what changes that? Let me tell you, do you need, let me ask you, do you need to be in a relationship? Do you need to have a man or a woman in your life to make you feel secure and safe? And when they go, how do you feel I want to ask you, what is that telling you? What about money? Uh, I remember hearing about one guy who said he would never, ever go outside, never leave his house unless he had more than 50 quid in his wallet. Because he said, well, what would happen? You might, you, you might need, you, something might happen. No, the man had a, an issue with money. Now, we can laugh at that, but actually also, also, what do you like with your bank account? I must have a few hundred or a thousands in my bank account, and if I haven't got that, then, well, you know, anything could happen. Money can very easily become an idol. Bible's very specific. Greed is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. What else do you need? Could it be a political party? 
What happens when a certain political party is not in power? What happens to you? <gasps> no, God rules. <laughs> At the end of his government, there will be no end. He is the sovereign one. Okay, so what? But that hopefully will just help you identify, yeah, what is it that makes me feel secure? How about this one? See, when, interestingly, when Aaron built this idol, he goes to them and he says, give me the gold rings in your ears. Where did those gold rings come from? Egyptians, that's right. So when they left Egypt, God gives the people favor with the Egyptians and they start giving them gold and silver. In other words, they leave wealthy. They've got resource. Now, I think that resource is to help them get to the promised land. What they're now doing, though, is they're taking this wealth and resource and they're using it for idolatry instead. They're using their money to feed their idolatry. Where do you spend your free money? When all the debts are paid, rent's paid, you might say, well, I haven't got any money after that. Okay, well, where do you go into debt then? Where are you consistently prepared to go into debt What is the one thing that consistently causes you? Again, this isn't trying to make you feel bad. This is trying to help you identify. Where do you spend your free money? Because that's a really good indicator as to what the priority of your heart is. We'll be telling you. Nothing wrong with having money. Nothing wrong with spending money. It's all good. But actually, sometimes when we consistently go in one direction... Over the top, that's telling you something. Is there something or someone that you are willing to sin for? Tell me about your children. Have you ever lied for your children? Get them out of trouble. Well, hello, is that the school? No, 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 they're, they're with me. They're fine, that's no problem. Where were you? Some people will lie to get their children out of trouble. Some people will steal for their children. What are you, what are you willing to do? Because if, if we've learned that lesson, idols will produce sin. So that's a little telltale sign for you. Yeah, where am I prepared to do that? And why? Are there things that you celebrate as good when they are not? See, they were celebrating the the creation of this um, golden calf. They celebrated it. They thought it was a wonderful thing. But actually, are there things you celebrate that you think, actually, that's not so good? Let me give you a suggestion. How do you react when you hear about Muslims dying? How do you honestly react in your heart? Do you say, just in the quiet of your own heart, good. They've got what they deserve. Or do you say, Jesus loves them and wants them saved. Loves them. Compassion of God is extended to all people regardless of religion, faith, color, creed, sexual orientation, all of that, Jesus loves people. He loves them. He loves them. And he does not cheer, he weeps when the godless die. 
tells you sometimes we can have a religious idol. We're looking for the empire of Christianity to do well. Oh, we look for Jesus to be honored. Okay, lastly, how do you react when you're challenged? Do you move into denial? Do you try and blame others? Do you try and tell them they're making more of it than they should? The Bible describes that as being stiff-necked. Are you inflexible over something? Why is that? Why do you react so sensitively to that area? Have you been challenged gently by two or three people over the years over something and you keep saying, no, 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 that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Are you defending something? Defending an idol? Okay. I'll stop there, otherwise you might explode. <laughs> and I wouldn't want that. And I wouldn't want that. Why don't we pray together and we'll close. Holy Spirit, would you come freshly, please, this morning on us. Thank you that you are here, Lord God. Father, I want to commit this whole issue of idols to you. And uh, Lord, I just want to say to you, I need your help in this area. Father, I'm asking, Father, for the things that we turn to instead of turning to you. Father, would you bring revelation to our own hearts about what they are? Lord, these things we know are just hard to see. And even for spiritual people, they're hard to see. And we fall easily into them. Father, I thank you that we now live in the context of the new, the new covenant, not the old. Thank you that you're full of mercy and grace. Thank you that your heart is to see us to be made more like Jesus. Thank you that you're taking us from one degree of glory to another. Thank you that we stand here righteous because of the work of Christ. Everyone who has received, we are righteous now. But Father, we say to you, we desire to be more like him. So would you reveal uh, the existence or the operation of idols in our lives so that we could be free? Holy Spirit, would you come and do that freshly for us in the name of Jesus? Amen.